Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Really excited to have on Stu Upson, the CEO of USA Pickleball, uh, as well as my co-host Andy Dolich and uh, our other guest in Laura Gaynor. Uh, we talked a little bit to Laura from a pickleball perspective and uh, we'll get Stu's insights as well as uh, his history going back to baseball with Andy. So nonetheless, Stu, welcome. Hey, great to be here. Andy, why don't you uh, serve it up, I guess? Is that appropriate? I'll serve it up. And I can, Stu and Laura, I always act like the village idiot because that's a role I can play easily. Uh, For our listeners, um, how did it become known as pickleball? That's a great question. What's the derivation of the name because I'm sure many people have their own story, but how did it become pickleball? There are really two stories and you can believe the one that you like the most. The, the, the game was created back in 1965 by three families in, in the Seattle area. They were uh, on vacation, kind of bored and they created this game. And they, you know, the kids were being annoying and they created this game out of you know, wiffle balls and, and uh, an old badminton net and they had some wooden paddles and they, and they created uh, the game of, of what is now pickleball. And one story is that the game was named after their dog named Pickles. But then some people will say that Pickles, the dog, didn't exist until after the game was invented and then perhaps the dog was named after the game. The story that seems to have uh, the most validity is that you know Seattle, uh, Washington area is big on rowing your crew, and apparently in regattas uh, they have at the end of the regatta everybody uh, who hasn't been you know rowing in in the main boat or I don't know what you call it the, the varsity boat or the JV boat uh, everyone gets in and they have sort of fun races at the end. And they called those boats the pickle boats because they're made up of all the leftovers, all the people who weren't <laughs> part of the real race. And so the theory is that pickleball was kind of created that way. It was all the stuff that was just left over, it was left over uh, nets and paddles and, and balls. And that's how the game was created. So that seems to be uh, how the name uh, came about. But some people still believe in the, the version of the game being named after the dog. Well, my personal experience, I I have yet to play, and and that's going to be taken care of, but I still play basketball. And when COVID hit, um, I went to an outdoor location. And uh, as soon as I got there, there were a bunch of people that brought their own nets. Uh, It's asphalt, all different demographics from young to old. They were having the greatest time playing, you know, sort of like schoolyard pickleball with their own nets. And I got extra exercise because when the balls would uh, go past the court, I'd have to run and throw them back. 
Um, so that I could see it demographically um, expand and I could see how anybody, boom, you're there, get your net, your paddles, a few pickles and you're in it. That's the reason it's so popular now is that it's easy to play. It's easy to, again, set up your own net anywhere in a public park, in your, in your driveway uh, and, and, and get at it. Uh, but it's also easy to play in the sense that if you have any athletic ability, hand-eye coordination, you can get out on the court and within an hour or so, you won't embarrass yourself. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's not like golf or tennis where you have to take hours, days, months, years of lessons. You can get out there and have fun and, and be pretty good at it. Now, obviously, as, you, as the game becomes more competitive and you're playing in tournaments and maybe even become a professional, then that's obviously very different. Um, but the fact you could just show up and play and the, and the spirit of the game is very welcoming. People don't care if you're good or not. Come on and play. We'll just have a great time and hack around. And how did you come to your position at Pickleball? Yeah, I'm the first CEO. And I, before this job, I've been the chief operating officer at the International Tennis Hall of Fame up in Newport, Rhode Island. So I had some racket and paddle sports experience. Uh, so the, the organization had been very small. We're, we're up, we're, we're above 20 employees now. Three years ago, we had three. And the board of directors was very active. They were really an operational board. They were doing a lot of the work themselves in conjunction with the three employees. And then they determined about a year and a half ago, it's time to evolve and become you know, an advisory board uh, and hire a CEO to come in uh, and, and, and uh, you know, run the place, but also manage it as the organization and the sport became bigger. So they, they did a search. They did a search for a CEO and we found each other and it worked out. Now, as, as Andy will talk about career opportunities, I can't imagine you're sitting there at the International Tennis Hall of Fame going like, yeah, I'm gonna be the CEO of USA Pickleball. Like that is my next dream job, or was it? No, in fact, I wasn't really looking for a next job. I really enjoyed it at the Hall of Fame. The CEO there was Todd Martin. Uh, who was a great player in his own right and a terrific guy, one of, one of the good guys on the planet. Uh, and so he, when he was hired as the CEO of the Tennis Hall of Fame, Todd was the first one to admit he certainly knows everybody in the tennis world and is respected, but he doesn't know how to run a business. Uh, and so he created the COO position and, and, and hired me. So I was very happy doing that. It was a great, great time up in Newport. Um, but no, was I yearning to be the CEO of, of USA Pickleball, no. But it's interesting because Pickleball at that point was starting to emerge and become more popular. Uh, and it was seen as the devil in the tennis world because a lot of the Pickleball growth came from people who were getting older, loved tennis, but just couldn't play or play as well. Uh, pickleball was a great option because it's still hand-eye coordination. You're still moving, you're still active, but you don't have to run as much. And so a lot of pickleball success was coming at the expense of tennis. And at the same time, tennis facilities, whether they be private clubs, outdoor facilities, uh, were losing tennis courts to pickleball because the demand was there. Uh, they were converting some tennis courts to pickleball courts, which was not a popular move in the tennis community. 
So uh, you talk to a lot of the tennis purists and pickleball is still uh, a nasty word. Uh, but I was aware of the sport because of that. Did uh, I have desires to jump into it? Never even thought about it until I was contacted. Well, I'm sure like the golf business, Stu, uh, playing the game is important, but buying a racket for several hundred dollars and constantly getting balls and looking cool like you've just come from the U.S. Open is a concern because pickleball, you dress however you want to dress, right? And well, if, if, if you wear a collared shirt on a pickleball court, you're, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, then, and don't even talk about wearing whites. Yeah. And and so what would if uh, if I go this afternoon and want to, you know, buy a pickleball set, what, what's my cost? Well, you can you can get a you can get a net set for uh, about 100 bucks. Uh, wow. And that, that's an easy one to you know pack up and carry around. There are bigger ones, more expensive, but um, we we even have them on our website. I think for maybe one hundred and nineteen dollars. I'm not I'm not quite sure about that, but and then you, or you can go into Dick's Sporting Goods or any place like that, and they'll have them. Yeah, and and Jake, uh, you know, from your previous golf stuff and my interest in the game, yeah, you want that new Kryptonite driver? Yeah, that's eleven hundred dollars just for one club. Great. Good, good idea. Laura and I, Laura and I were talking about equipment and it's like, there's so many different providers, but it's just, um, it, it, everything's affordable, right? It's you're, I mean, you're not, you're not breaking the bank and, uh, Andy, you and I can go play. You don't even have to have a racket cause I got a second one and then you can play. Right. And so it's, it's as opposed to if you go play golf or baseball or any of these other sports, like, now, obviously, you go play basketball, you need one ball and everybody else plays. But but from the equipment perspective, you can share and you don't have to, uh, you know, I mean, you don't want to freeload for that long, right? If you get into the sport, but right. but to start, you don't have to. And as a novice, Stu, do you have uh, uh, an internal rule that there's any grunting in pickleball, the game is forfeited to the other team? <laughs> uh, could, could you I put think that in? Yeah, we're gonna. I'll, I'll talk to the rules committee about that. See what we can do. Okay, great. But, but I, but I'd be fully supportive of that. Laura, you, you've been playing in some tournaments. What are you seeing grunting? I mean, what, what's, what's the, what's the environment like there? <laughs> it definitely is, especially uh, on the pro championship court. You can hear some grunts along the way. Those former tennis players are uh, definitely doing some grunting. No, that's just <laughs> not good. And then, Andy, before you go on the court, too, make sure you don't call it a racket. It's a paddle. A paddle. Okay. That's the point. We, okay. we were talking about lingo, and there's all sorts of – I mean, Stu, you know, there's plenty of lingo in baseball where you started. I mean, what's what's the lingo that you've gotten to know? What's the one, like, couple phrases you need to know before you go play and don't make a fool of yourself? Well, probably the dink, uh, um, which is – uh, and and the dink and the kitchen there's there's the no volley zone which are the seven feet on each side of the net where you can't step into uh, to hit to hit a ball uh, in the air and, um, so probably and then the dink is just a, a, a finesse shot um, that you do back and forth yes but it's a dink you know it's it's not a um, you know it's it's not a um, drop shot it is definitely a, a dink. Right. 
And in the Nova Valley zone is the kitchen. And what is the international uh, snapshot of pickleball? Do we see it in any other places? Sure, you see it a lot, but certainly not, not a big deal yet. Uh, it's more North America, US and, and, and Canada to a certain extent. There's an international federation, the International Federation of Pickleball, and I think they've got about 60 member countries, but a lot of those member countries just might be a club in India or Brazil. Uh, there, there are very few other, um, you know, uh, pickleball federations in other, in other countries. And the International Pickleball Federation is not yet, yet recognized by the IOC. So there's a, a lot of growth um, to be had internationally for sure. And um, in terms, uh, Laura just talked about it, in terms of tournaments, um, what is the number one prize in pickleball? You know, where do you want to hold up your plate or your jar of pickles or whatever when you <laughs> won the championship? Yeah, it, it's, the, it's, our, it's our national championships, the USA Pickleball National Championships. We hold it at the end of the year uh, and we do it at the Indian Wells Tennis Garden. And they're a great partner. What they do uh, is because it's, it's that's the big, huge tennis facility where the BNP Paribas Open is normally conducted in March. Although this past year they pushed it to October, but they convert a whole bunch of their tennis courts to pickleball, and they don't just paint lines. They shave them down, they repave them. Um, it's a phenomenal facility, and so that that's the crown jewel of pickleball. We will have about 2,400 players come wow. and compete over 10 days. And, and to that number, what's your estimate of people from first-timers to the pros that are engaged in the game now? Yeah, for that tournament, you have to qualify to get in. You just, you just don't sign up. So those are arguably the best players in each of those age and skill categories. And people that are playing the game in the United States, what would your number be? It's 4.2 million is the SFIA number from last year. 4.2 million. 4.2 million. We think when the 2021 numbers come out, we, we're pretty sure it'll be over 5 million. What's and, the, and from like, uh, obviously, Stu, going back to your baseball days where you and Andy uh, worked together and, uh, as you're growing that game, as you grow this game, the monetization of it, brands getting integrated, like what, what is the future of that look like? Where's the, uh, because you are reaching such a wide audience, right? You can kind of get to everybody and anybody. What's, what's the appetite like there? Yeah, it, there's a lot of opportunity, but boy, we're, we're still pretty small in the, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, uh, we've got, um, there are two pro tours. There's the APP tour and the PPA tour. They're both relatively new, about three years old, uh, and they're they're emerging. Uh, and they have TV packages, but on FS2, um, some tennis channel. Uh, we have our national championships and our national championship series, which are tournaments leading up to the nationals. We're on ESPN Plus. Our nationals were a two-hour tape delay show on ESPNU. And, and the pros are emerging as celebrities within the pickleball world. If you're a pickleball player, you probably know 
who the top players are and you and you're interested in seeing them but beyond that the pros uh, don't have that level of popularity because they don't have as much exposure they're not on television and, you know they're not on big ESPN or on NBC on Sunday afternoons and and it's going to be take a while to get there and as we as the exposure increases, we are now getting more non-endemic sponsors involved. It used to be you know, the paddle manufacturers and 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 the and the and the, um, and the ball manufacturers and shoe guys and all of that sort of stuff. But now we're getting companies like Margaritaville and Cellular One and Day One Beverages uh, that are seeing what's happening in pickleball and they want to get involved. And that's then going to allow prize money to get bigger. Uh, and it's going to hopefully get more fans involved because we want to get to the point where the pros are known outside of the pickleball world. And we're not there yet. Well, uh, to that point, uh, I don't know what the company is, but there's a major company that's using pickleball in their ads and their national ad campaign. And, you know, that just takes it everywhere. And people have a smile on their face and you see them playing pickleball. It's great. And thinking about our baseball experience, um, you don't have to worry about 30 owners. You don't have to worry right yet, I guess, about a players association. I don't think you are locking anybody out of an upcoming pickleball season. And you have such flexibility in terms of how you market, who your partners are. And to me, there's an example in that because uh, many people, you know, have, have thought that baseball has missed tremendous marketing opportunities and they're a little bit tone deaf to what's going on to actually be in a lockout right now. Um, do you think about that at all, the flexibility that you have to grow the sport without some of the frustrations that you had, not that we didn't have a great time in baseball, but the frustrations uh, that exist in a game like that. Yeah, we, we have different challenges, but certainly not those frustrations or even roadblocks that we, that we had there. We, pickleball is still the wild, wild west. As I said, we've got two pro tours, other people are getting involved and I don't think pro, two pro tours are going to be able to survive. Is there another sport where there are two successful pro tours? Well, there was way back in the NFL, when the AFL and the NFL, but they merged eventually. So that's going to shake out, you know, the equipment manufacturers. There are too many of them right now. We, uh, you know, we approve every paddle for certified play. And we approved over 300 different paddles last year. That's too many. So the wild, wild west is going to get tamed eventually. But the beauty of it, Andy, to your point, is it's there's a lot of flexibility to do that. As the national governing body, we kind of need to support everybody. We want everybody to succeed. But at some point, we're going to have to play a role, I believe, in having a greater focus on the growth of the sport so that it doesn't get out of control and we don't have warring factions um, unions fighting with ownership. Um, you know, look, if you look at tennis, 
you know, you've got all sorts. There's seven basic, seven factions in tennis that kind of work together, but also compete with each other. Right. You've got the WTA, you've got the ATP, you've got the four Grand Slams, uh, and then you've got the, the ITF, the International Federation. And they don't always play nicely in the sandbox. That's the best example for us of things not to do. If we get to that point, then I think we failed. And, and you're in that period of agility and nimbleness where you can switch later today, if you want, for the good of the game. And as I've seen, as we've all seen through COVID, um, people, you can play, you know, it's outside. Uh, you don't have to be a genius to have your two-handed backhand. Anybody can play and end up with a smile on their face, as opposed to trying to learn to play golf can be a lifelong frustration and expensive as hell. And I was looking up that commercial that I was thinking of, it's Ozempic. Yes. Which, uh, which has done a great job. And who would have thought, oh yeah, Ozempic. Yeah, they're, they're promoting the heck out of us. Yep, we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> and then um, the other interesting thing is we all talk about the pros and being on television and all of that, but really it, it's the amateurs, it's the recreational players, which are the core of the sport. What there may be, Laura, 100 pros out there out of the 4.2 million people who play. And, and even from our perspective as the NGB, we have 55,000 members, which is a lot. And that's compared to 37,000 a year ago. That's great. But still, that 55,000 is a tiny percentage of that 4.2 million. Um, so how can we help get more people playing recreational in, 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 at clubs and in leagues and, and you know, in their driveways, <laughs> who cares? That, that's what we need to do. And, and I mean, the monetization of the sport and the pro game is important, but it's quite frankly, not as important as the grassroots. It, you know, you're running a business, you're growing it, but you know, just saying pickleball, I think puts a smile on people's face. Uh, and Laura just smiled. Um, <laughs> how do you deal how do you deal with the humor of people that, you know, have no idea what pickleball is and just think it's funny in terms of, hey, you don't want to get too serious, but you don't want to just be the butt of jokes. Is that something that you think about or deal with? Don't, I don't really think about it because it's taking care of itself. Uh, I, I think the name is perfect for the game. And even when you get to the more competitive play and have tournaments, it it's not a joke. It's not a barrier in any way, but it sets the tone for even the most competitive tournaments being kind of lighthearted and friendly. And, um, and that's a good thing. That's kind of, that's the culture of, of the sport. So on your business card, does it say TBP, the big pickle? It does not. And I'm probably not going to go on that. Direction. Okay. Just <laughs> no me. I was just thinking. Um, so, so uh, Jake, don't do that. That's, that's not fair. Um, let, let's go for a second to our uh, other sport, baseball, as you've looked at it, been involved in it. What is baseball missing today that it needs to bring back? Um, it just seems to be tripping over itself in so many ways, but from your professional perspective and 
helping to build the game as you did on a national and international basis, what do they what do they need to be doing today that they're not doing? I kind of think they're taking themselves too seriously. Uh, the fun of the game is, is is going away, and whether it's, you know the length of the game, no starting pitchers, uh, um, specialization. I hate the shift. Um, I understand it, um, but how about just going out and play? And that and that's you know pickleball is kind of like that, and I think that's missing from the sport. Just turn on the TV, go to or go to a game and enjoy it. Yeah, you can enjoy, you can appreciate the strategy that shouldn't go away. But it, when it gets just too complicated and it becomes a five and a half hour game with nine different pitching changes, boy, that that kills the experience. Yeah. Um, one other point that that I've written about, talked about. I mean, there's a lot going on with the Oakland A's about a potential move to Las Vegas and how their attendance has dropped. You know, last year, even with COVID, this number just shocks me. Six baseball teams drew less than a million people last year. That's incomprehensible. Right. And the A's had their lowest attendance since 1979 when Finley had basically traded everybody away and they were a minor league team. Um, and, and so when you lose a fan, uh, you're not getting the fan back that sort of lifetime season ticket value. And I just see, you know, uh, sports like yours and many others uh, where people go, I want to immerse myself in the sport. I don't want to watch it. I want to play it. And pickleball is the perfect sport where anybody can play anywhere, anytime for little or no money, uh, as opposed to all these other sports where you got to make a big investment, not only in money, but more importantly, in time. Yeah, pickleball, you can go out there in an hour and a half, a couple hours, have a great time, and then go on and do something else. Stu, are there any initiatives you see in the near future, and we'll kind of start to wrap up with this, of how do you create even more accessibility, right? Like anywhere you go now, I feel like there's not enough courts. Every court is packed, and it's, and it's not the, hey, you're turning away people from coming because everybody wants to play, clearly. But then how do you create more accessibility, even in areas that um, maybe in inner cities, right, where it's not as easy to build a court or whatever it might be? Like, how, how do you guys go about, I would imagine building a pickleball court is not as hard as putting up an ice rink or building a baseball field, or right? So the, the cost isn't necessarily as much of a barrier. It, it, it can be um, depending on how complex you want to get, but Jake, you nailed it. Our, our biggest challenge right now is there are not enough courts to play on. And a lot of people are jumping into it and, and, we, and we've got resources to help people who want to, whether building a court in their backyard or converting municipal tennis courts to pickleball courts or building new facilities. We got some people who want to build 50 court facilities and host national tournaments that that's all great. So when you get to that level, yeah, you're talking a lot, you're a lot of money. Um, there's this one group uh, called chicken and pickle. I think they're 
They're, I think they're out of Wichita or Kansas City. Not chicken sure. Chicken and pickle. Chicken and pickle. Got it. Uh, and it's a combination of a sports bar with you know pretty good food and a whole bunch of indoor and outdoor pickleball courts, and they're killing it. Uh, and so that it's kind of analogous to bowling in a way. You know, it's it's a whole experience, and but you're having fun playing pickleball, just like kind of going to a bowling center. Um, so that kind of accessibility is it, important. Um, not just places where you can go play, but you can do other things. I think that's going to open up the sport more to people who are going to say, all right, um, let's go out and have a fun afternoon and, and have a, you know, go get a cheeseburger and a beer. Oh, and let's go to this place where they have pickleball courts. That's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, we, we need more places to play because yeah, yeah, if you show up at the town courts on a Saturday morning and have to wait three hours to get on a court, you're going to go 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 do something else. And that's right. like one example to actually talk to a New York group yesterday and they said that they are now like a NASCAR pit crew because they actually obviously in the middle of New York City, they have a portable net, their group just carries their net every single day they want to go play down to whatever open street that they have and they said that they've gone from 20 minutes taking them to set up this court, taping the lines, putting their portable net up to like two, now down to two to three minutes because they just do it every day. I have to pull their lines up and just keep doing it every day because they just want to play and they just go find an open area. Yeah, well, my, my daughter, my yeah. daughter who lives and works in Manhattan, she's got a group group of women. They go do it, you know, like every Thursday night. They find a corner of an asphalt park um, and, and just set it up. And then, of course, they all go drink wine afterwards. Yeah. Well, I could see people playing on the 38th floor of their condo, right? And if they don't have the proper netting, people are looking up and there's pickleballs <laughs> flying all over the place. Um, and uh, as, as you said, Laura, I mean, uh, pit crews and setting up in two and a half minutes, um, it can be everywhere. And, and as I said, I'm still out there shooting a hoop and a lot of asphalt. And there's miles and miles of opportunity. Um, and a lot of tennis courts have nobody playing tennis on them, right? So you just talked about that. And, and, and the beauty is you can get four pickleball courts in the same space as one tennis court. So wow. you can get 16 people playing, four people on a court, compared to just four for tennis. So that, that's a pretty good selling point for converting tennis into pickleball courts. So as we get to the end here, what's, what is the next singular focus that you have in growing the game? It, it's youth and recreational players. Uh, we've had an older demographic for a long time. We've definitely been a 55 plus uh, sport. Uh, that is changing dramatically in a good way. It's now pretty evenly distributed amongst all age groups. Um, the youth game is growing, but it's still quite small. And I'm not, we're not talking about competitive leagues for you know, developing future pros. Uh, we're talking about getting it in uh, school programs, rec programs, boys and girls clubs, YMCAs, that type of thing. Because that's how we're gonna, you know, it's, it's, it's an overused term, but the future pickleball players are uh, in the schools right now. So we yeah. need to get them involved. You know, that's a great point. Um, I, I was thinking as you, Laura, and you were talking, the schoolyard has gone away for a lot of young people, right? Because there's so many rules and regulations and we have COVID. And pickleball is exemplary of coming back to the schoolyard and just playing for fun 
you know, you don't have 12 year olds playing pickleball with their parents yelling and screaming at them. At least I hope not. Right. And it's well, like, wait, there, are a, there are a couple of hours. But not <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite quotes from a school that I interviewed was also, you don't have to be the top basketball player at your school. Some of these people, these kids are not feeling inclusive included and in, like getting picked to be on a team. But what's great about pickleball is these kids are the top of their game with pickleball because they have so much fun. It's easy to learn. So they really love the sport. They love to get the chance to play during PE class. And then when the teacher um, let them have open gym after school's over, they have an activity for them to do in different areas and schools, just giving that opportunity. And again, all you need is a portable net and some paddles to give access to these kids to get to play. And it's also one of many sports. Um, I mean, we could go off on this tangent, but I, I'm so in favor of kids playing more than one sport, not just focusing on totally the class or hockey and all of that. And pickleball is the perfect sport for kids to come in and play, but then they can go and do other things as well. There's a great story. One of the top women pros is a woman named Anna Lee Waters, who is, I believe, 15 years old. And she's played doubles with her mom, who's also a great pro. Um, and she playing pickleball. She's really good. She's out on the tour, but also she's a great, I think, high school soccer player. Uh, so um, that's a good example of pickleball being one of many sports that these kids can play. That's the way it should be. The specialization in young kids sports is a horrible disease as far as I'm concerned. Jake, you want to take us home? Last question for you, Stu. If you could go play on a pickleball court, Anywhere in the world, where are you going? Indian Wells tennis, tennis Garden. Okay. Yeah, because to get out there, on that, it's it's an unbelievable facility. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been there for the BNP Paribas Open, but it, yeah. it's it, it's it's the Taj Mahal of, of pickleball. So if I had to pick one place, that would be it. Either that or maybe Leonardo DiCaprio or George Clooney's private court in their backyard. That might, you know what? That might be number one. Indian Wells. Yeah, that might be a tougher ticket. Yeah. yeah. So, Laura, I recently saw a floating tennis court somewhere in like Dubai or something. I can't remember where it was. Yeah. Is that on the horizon? Like, where, like are you going to figure out how to make that happen? I think we must have seen the same LinkedIn post because I saw that same court. <laughs> um, I would love to see that. I mean, I like Stu said, all these different celebrities have courts, but I love the fact that you can travel anywhere to get these courts. We have tournaments in Hawaii. Um, as you said, let's put one in the middle of the water on a ship. There is actually a lot I of get, uh, that. That's where I'm going. Uh, Laura, <laughs> call up the U.S. Navy. Think yep. about how many aircraft carriers they have. Think about <laughs> when they're not landing planes because you don't want to be playing pickleball when they're landing an F-18. Um, yeah. But just think of how many courts and the visual that that would be for the Inter-Navy Pickleball Championship. And I won't even charge you. Seriously, <laughs> that would be incredible. And we do it on one of the carriers right in San Diego Harbor. Oh, OK. Yeah, that could work. Yeah. <laughs> there's All a lot right. of pieces. That's pretty good. There's I don't know who controls the weather, just no wind. That's all <laughs> yeah, I've learned is that you got wind, you got problems. That's all. Yeah, that pickleball can, can dance around a lot in breezy conditions, that's for sure. Oh, you mean when you're on the deck and they're launching planes, the jet exhaust <laughs> might be a problem? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cruise ships do it. Cruise ships have pickleball courts. Oh, perfect.
Yeah. But did, did you say that there's a floating pickleball court in Dubai? It was a tennis tennis court. tennis court. Okay. Yeah. But isn't that the desert? Why would they want to float something in water when there's hardly any water anyways? Because they're Dubai. That's uh, why. Because they can't. Was Laura? I I don't remember where it was either. I remember I was reading all the comments on it and stuff, but it definitely looked like an amazing place to play. Yeah. Don't quote me on the Dubai things too. I just saw oh, okay. I just saw the same post that Laura did, but uh, I do... somewhere that's all that matters. That's right. That's right. So <laughs> okay, I'll, let, I'll let go of that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Stu, really appreciate your perspectives, insights on the game. Uh, obviously look forward to having you on again in the future uh, to talk about kind of where it's continuing to go and grow, of course. And um, until then, uh, I might have to figure out how to get Andy on a court. I'm just. going to go out and buy the most expensive pickleball stuff and go to my asphalt place and walk around and people go, oh, I don't want to play against that guy. Look at this paddle. Whoa. <laughs> Thank you, Stu. It's great to see you again. Thank you. This Laura. was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. This was great. Let's do it again. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.